be. So this wouldn't be a good time to go to the bathroom, right? All right. Hi, my name's Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, family. Oh, Jamie, what a great pitch. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. Um, I love seeing all the faces of the people I know and the people I don't know. And Amy and Sparky Linden and Jackie. And I know Aaron's here. And uh, Pesh, thank you for inviting me. Um, and Carrie for your nice message and everyone. Uh, congratulations, Matt. You know, you got a couple months on your belt. That's freaking huge. And I love Julie and Colleen and Jessica, John. I mean, welcome. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is so cool. You know, and I love when you were like, I'm back two days. It's like, I tried this before. Me too. So cool. And oh, it's so great when, um, Every time I speak, somebody's going to help me with this suggestion. You're supposed to open with a joke or something like that, you know? Um, I don't really have a joke, but my son, who's uh, a normie, uh, he goes, don't worry, I'll handle it. When you start speaking, I'll come in and ask you to open my beer. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so um, if he comes by, just ignore him. But welcome. Welcome to Cox Anonymous stick around. I mean, I just love it when, um, you know, Jessica, I, I just, it's, it, Julie's kind of like two days again. Like, so I've been here, but don't act like I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. I, I had had this. It's just, I was, I relapsed after seven years. So I know what that's like to come in and go, no, 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 no I'm not, you know, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I was here before I relapsed. And Jessica's like, I'm not sure if I want these people to know. Uh, and she waits to like, then she's kind of like, okay, me too. You know, welcome. I love when we're new too. When I was new, I was like, people are going to look at me. You know, we're alcoholics. Nobody's looking at you. We're wondering if people are looking at me, you know. So let's see. What did you say? Four hours? No. Oh, 40 minutes. I got it. I got it. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I, you know, I have no idea what makes me an alcoholic. Um, you know, some people have the argument, oh, I was born with it. No, I developed it. You know, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is I got it, and I'm glad I found you guys. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, I was born in a small town back in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. Um, yeah. But kind of half my family's from like this small town with one light, Schuylkill Haven up in Northeastern Pennsylvania. The rest of them are from Philadelphia. Um, I promised Jackie I'd say my, I've got one uncle that was, um, <laughs> yeah. He was so neat. When I was like this high to the stove, he would hide things in the back wall by the stove. You know, he, this little gun that he had on a string and it had like these little etchings on it and stuff. And I thought, when I grow up, I want to be just like you, Uncle Tony. I always wanted to hide shit in the wall. I don't know why, but I just thought it was cool. Um, so that didn't make me an alcoholic. I do know that the family drink at the time was Windsor and water. 
And when we were kids, we used to be able to take the glasses of our parents, you know, and you could take the ice cubes when they were done with the drink, right? And my sisters, when they would take the ice cubes out of my parents' drink or something like that, they go like that. And I'm like, I'll have her ice cubes. Because <laughs> I'm like, mm. I think very early on, I liked the taste of alcohol. I didn't know till later how much I, I liked the effect produced by alcohol or I needed the effect produced by alcohol. I, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I, I danced on tables when I was a kid, drinking Windsor and what? No. <laughs> but we moved up north. I had more crazy uncles up north. You know, I had another uncle that would follow me home from school with a gun out the window. And he'd be like, where's your aunt? And I'm like, oh my God, I have friends that go to school here. Really making me look stupid. Uncle Tony was en ended up getting shot in the head, wrapped in chains, thrown into the Susquehanna River. Uh, a fisherman found him. I used to think it was kind of neat because, you know, they had all these little, like, it was like CSI before CSI came about, you know? So, yeah, I don't know anything about dysfunctional families. I just, <laughs> um, you know, but in the small town when my mom left my dad, we moved up there and my dad was one of those cool alcoholics. He was the one that, that was going to be your bud. He was going to be your pal, you know, didn't know how to be a parent. But so when I was in fifth grade, now I know I was in fifth grade because I had that, my mom had just left my dad. So I had the haircut that was like the bowl on your head. And then I had the braces and I had the turtleneck and, and no training bra, but it, it was coming soon, you know, that kind of thing. So I was like, I remember the picture and it was that year. I remember the teacher. My dad would send me these packages through the mail. Cause I was his, he was my friend. He was my buddy. I was in fifth grade. I look at fifth graders now and I'm like, are you kidding me? But he sent me pot through the mail, big buds of pot. I didn't know what to do with them. You know, we're going to go for ice cream or should I go get rid of this pot? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I take it to the playground. I give it to the kids of the playground. Ah, keen alcoholic mind that I had. They liked me. I knew how to get you to like me. So I never smoked the pot in fifth grade. I just know, I think it's a little bizarre when a kid's getting pot sent from like California to Pennsylvania in the mail at fifth grade to give out to the kids at the playground. Like I said, no dysfunction here. Now, again, I don't know whether this makes me an alcoholic or not. The overachiever, the trying to do everything. In high school, I was homecoming queen, student council president, captain of the swim team. I went to seven proms. I even have a varsity letter from the men's wrestling team. Go figure. So I'm not much of an overachiever, you know, but uh, <laughs> I always thought I'm, I never really made the mark, you know. I may have done a lot, but I just never, I was never on the honor roll. I was never like... Mm -hmm. Everybody liked Kelly. You know, I could go between, we had two banks at school. One was the druggy wall. One was the preppy wall is what we call it. But, you know, I had friends on either so I could make sure nobody got beat up. And I was like the popular kind of in-between kid. But that's what we did, you know, until I came out to California because I got to go. I got things to do. This, um, I don't know how many of you guys are young, got sober young. I'm the kind of alcoholic that's like, yeah, all right, so I can drink the football players under the table, but it's not going to kill me, you know? 
I'm an athlete, you know? It's not going to kill me. Well, I come out here to California, um, and one Christmas, uh, I got a phone call. Uh, of course, you know, I talked to my mom the night before because I just mailed the gifts, and I'm like, I don't think they'll get there in time. Duh. You know, I only mailed them after everything closed on Christmas Eve. But um, I was there to sign for those Christmas gifts that year because my mom was taken from us, suspiciously. Um, there was question, was she murdered? Was she killed? But to have your mom taken on Christmas Day, does it really matter if I had the answers? All I know is I went home and I was crushed. And I custody my little sisters and the first thing in my mind wasn't necessarily that my mom had just passed, but they're gonna find out. I'm not all that. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I just know how to like chameleon my way through life, you know, like, what am I gonna do? No, this keen alcoholic mind did not consider the fact that I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna plow through the lives of the people that love me. I'm not gonna take care of anything I'm supposed to. I'm going to get that car that was my mom's. I'm going to live in it while I'm sleeping with my, my new boyfriend I just found at the bar. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put, I don't know if you guys know this, I invented putting water in the whiskey bottle. But sneak grandma's whiskey, you know, and then fill it with water. Nobody will know. You know, I... I treated my family's lives, the people that loved me the most and cared for me, like their homes were hotels. If I got in trouble or they brought it up, I'm like, don't you know my mom just died? Now, you know, it's traumatic. It was very traumatic. But I didn't know how to mourn then. I knew how to drink. I knew how to drink and I knew how to, to, to just avoid you know, I'm the kind of person that drinks mm, anything that comes out from the back of the bar in a mason jar. That's my kind of drink, you know? Anything that's like ever clear. I, I shot pool with Wolfman Jack. Those of you that are young, that's not the guy that owns the restaurants. Not that guy. This is back in an old gun club. He said, I bet that young thing can't take two glasses of the moonshine and play me a game of pool. And there was a 800 bucks laid on the table. I slapped chalk and I was like off and running. Meanwhile, my family's wondering where I am. My little sisters that don't have their mom are wondering where I am. And I thought, time to go back to California. My drinking escalated. Now this homecoming queen student council president. Oh, did my time stop? No, okay. This homecoming queen student council president, captain of the swim team, young athlete, you know? I'm drinking to the point where my heart stops and I'm 240 pounds and I've lost the hair on the back of my head. I found out at this time that I was lactose intolerant or maybe it's just not a good idea to drink a pint of whiskey after you drink cereal. I don't know, either way, it had to be the milk. It was not the whiskey. <laughs> When doctors would tell you, if you keep drinking like this, you're going to die. And you've got probably just a couple months. And I'm like, good. All right. So I got time is what you're trying to say, right? <laughs> a 
We don't hear things. We really don't. That frothy emotional appeal. It's like on top of a cappuccino. I don't care what the emotion is, whether it's you're going to get fired if you keep drinking or a family member begging for you to stop because you're going to die. There's a woman, I, uh, a friend of mine owned a business and she made me the receptionist. I, being so respectful of my friend's business, decided that I could drink my whiskey there freely, right? So I had my teacup with my little tea bag tag hanging out, and inside I had straight whiskey because nobody would know. It looks just like tea. At her front reception desk while people were coming in, I'm drinking straight whiskey. And this lady came up to me and she looked at me. Now, note my eyes had now, I'm 22. My eyes are straight yellow. I had bruises that would appear on my body from nowhere. I had lost the hair on the back of my head and I had little strands just coming around. 240 pounds of just alcohol bloat and yellow eyes. And I'm, you, you know, oh, you know it's a good day when you, there's this much left in the bottle. So you can get past that, the shake. And you look to see how much of the yellow eyes you got. Nobody will know. And this lady looked at me and she goes, my grandfather died of alcoholism. He turned yellow before he died. So to, of course, I went, oh, yes, maybe I should stop. No. What did I go? I go, what's her problem? <laughs> Why is she telling me that? Now, if this same woman would have walked up and said, no, you know what? I'll come back. Um, I have an AA meeting to go to. I, I used to drink a lot. I don't now. I actually turned yellow before I stopped drinking. But I'll come back after my meeting. I would, huh? What? You, did you see my eyes were yellow? How did you not? Somebody else drinks like I drank? No, that's what I mean, depth and weight. That's when it hits you here. You know, the message we carry has to have depth and weight. So we have to be able to share. I know where you've been. I've walked where you've walked. You may not have to drink a gallon of whiskey a day till your hair falls out and you're yellow and jaundiced and bruised all over. And you may be a high bottom drink. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. Sorry, big books like my jam, man. You know why? Because that's where the story is. That's where we are. I think it's always funny when people um, have sponsors that go, oh, my sponsor doesn't use the big book. And I can't do that. Sorry, because my ego gets involved and all of a sudden I've got a brilliant idea and I can do it better. Oh my God, we've been trying to do that for a long time, huh? Finally, we come up with 164 pages that outlines it beautifully. And all of a sudden I've got a better idea. So no, I like the big book. What I was saying, I digress. I don't care whether you drank like I drank or as much as I drank. And Julie, I don't know whether you drank like I drank, you know, or had that no defense against the first drink, right? Jesse or John or any of you guys, but I do know what it means when I read this. The remorse, the horror 
the hopelessness. I never understood how people could take their own life. But at that point in my life, I knew. I knew what it felt like to feel dark, deep, deep. To, I couldn't swallow to get to it. And I couldn't blame it on anybody. And I didn't know why. But I was going to do it again tomorrow. The courage to do battle wasn't there. And at the same time, my brain raced uncontrollably. And there's this constant sense of impending calamity. The terror, the madness. Loneliness, despair, self-pity, and being overwhelmed. Yeah, I get that. So like I said, I don't, I don't care whether you drank like I drank. Whether you drink a little bit here or there, just, I fucking know what those feelings feel like, man. I know it. I can taste it. And then you tell me I've got no defense against the first drink. I'm like, well, thank you very much. That's real cheery, you know? Now, like I said, I got sober in April of 1990. How much time do I got left? 10? So, I don't know. Yeah, like 20 minutes. Okay. So, um, I drank till I spit up blood on a regular basis. I used to have to crawl into the bathroom and suck on a washcloth so I could spit up enough blood so that I'd be able to get down just that much whiskey and be able to like maybe steady myself, be dressed so I can go to the store and buy more. And this went on and on and on and on. Until this man called Singin' Sam came to my door and goes, get in the car. I'm like, oh my God, this man got sober in 1953, died in 93, but he was beautiful. And Singin' Sam would sit there and he'd take me to meetings like at Redgate. And I was drunk at the time, so probably before in the early 90s. But he'd sit there and he'd pound on the table and I'd be like, all of a sudden that, that, that the room's disappearing, hazy, I'm still a little drunk. And then all of a sudden he'd pound on the table and I'd go, what? He go, men with men, women with women. And I thought, why does he keep picking me up and taking me to these stupid places then? My God. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter whether you came from park bench or park place. It's the same disease and it'll kill you just the same. He got me into a place called Redgate in Long Beach. And in there, you guys told me I needed to find something, find someone that had what I wanted, find somebody that was going to be able to, right? That was going to teach me this freedom. And I did. His name was John and he had 60 days more than me. And after he graduated, he stole my car. But um, I married him. <laughs> I have a beautiful 27 year old son, but John didn't make it. That's what we do. I managed to stay sober for seven years and have no defense against that first drink. I get that, you know, everybody, when you relapse, I don't know, Julie, if you felt this way, but every time you've relapsed and you've come back, everybody looks at you and they go, why'd you do it? <laughs> oh, my, my keen alcoholic mind. Keep the first thing I start thinking is what do they want to hear? What's the right answer? What's the right AA answer? 
So then they go, why'd you do it? And I go, uh, um, I didn't go to meetings, didn't have a sponsor, uh, wasn't going to, um, uh, doing the steps. Uh, yeah, that's it, that's it. That's it. Here's the scary twist. I was going to meetings. I did have a sponsor and I had done the steps. Whoa. I wasn't active in 10, 11, 12. I also didn't understand that book. I didn't find myself in there. You know, um, in my early sobriety, in my, in my first seven years um, before my relapse, you'd hear things. And this is why I like to sponsor out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because like if I get involved, it's all, you know, I had a sponsor that was, that was going to um, tell me your life story and then we'll go over it and I'll tell you what's wrong. So I had no idea that the four step was even in the big book. I had no idea what things were, that there were stories in the big book and then the program was in there. No clue. All I know is I had to write my life story and she was going to tell me what's wrong. So then after I got done with that, right, and we did some kind of weird prayer. I had to get on my knees. I had to pretend like I was emotional. Oh yes, that third step really got me. <laughs> oh. And then I go to a meeting. I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right? But people would go, did a third step, give it to God. And I'm like, so I started saying, did a third step, give it to God. Right? And I'd start repeating what you guys would say, acting like I knew what I was talking about. And my sponsor who had, I'd read her my life story that I wrote down. She picked out what was wrong with me. So then when people would ask me to sponsor them, I go, yeah, of course I can sponsor you. I got more than five years. Uh, call me every day or you're fired. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm, what else? Uh, oh yeah, no sex in the first year or you're fired. Uh, you're going to write your life story and then I'll tell you what's wrong with you. And uh, it'll all be beautiful. And all of a sudden I become like a guru and I'm thinking I know it all. And really, I have no clue as to what I'm doing. But I'm terrified and scared to tell you that I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to just keep pretending, which is that chameleon that's inside of me. And I love how Jamie mentioned that even in the early time, the quickest way that what is what is the key in that third step that holds of alcoholism is, is my self will run riot. And the sooner I can get out of self, out of self, out of self, the sooner I can connect and realize that there's other human beings around and, and start learning how to do this program that's selfless. So the sooner I start saying, hey, how are you doing? The sooner I start getting out of self, out of self, out of self, you know? Um, I truly don't believe that we talk down to any alcoholic. Every time I start with somebody, we start in chapter seven because we don't criticize, we don't talk down to anybody. So it did not have the old timers going, shut up, take the cotton out of yours. You don't know shit. If you knew anything, you should get a year. No. It says we don't criticize. All we do is let the magic happen when one alcoholic tells a story to another and somebody goes, I think I can do that too. Because by myself, man, I am scared. I am terrified. And right there at that moment, I don't know how to not go home and drink again. Even though I swear I'm not going to, I don't, I want to believe that I want to not do it. I, I want to sit here and tell you I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to do it because I'm a loser because I'm no good. Why do I do it all the time? And you guys managing to not die of this thing is a whole lot bigger than me. My sponsor now, she, when my sobriety date is 5 6 and when she took me through that book, we started there and she said, you can start reaching out to somebody in the program. Make sure they have a book. No, I'm not going to sponsor somebody, but I can start doing 12 from the very beginning.
Then she walked me through the beginning steps. So I learned about the disease and my allergy. I started finding myself in the chapters, like in Bill's story with the hopelessness and the quicksand that stretched out all around me. I'm like, yeah. I had no defense against the first drink and, and, and all the way through and learned A, B, and C. I found myself in there. And then she said, you're ready for three. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got that one. Got the prayer. Got to memorize it so I can impress her that I know it. It's got nothing to do so much with the prayer as it got, it has to do with the page before the prayer. How important is the third step? If I don't understand this, the keystone that holds all those steps together. And when she explained it to me, the words don't matter. She explained to me what it was like to be indignant. Oh my God, is that a great alcoholic word? Think about it. It means to be upset or angry at what I perceive is unfair to me. <laughs> I'm an expert at being indignant. Oh my God. So that third step says, if you think about it, you don't even have to know who your higher power is, even though the word God's in there, it doesn't. Up until then, I realized I lacked the power to be able to not die of this thing. You guys, just to see a hundred of you not even, not dying of this is a power that I don't have right now. It's something I lack. So that's a little bigger than me right now. How do you do it? Help me not die of this, please. Right? And if I open my arms up and go, what you got for me today? What you got? Oh, that, do a four step? <laughs> no. The third step, build with me, do with me as you wish. What you got for me today? Put in front of me what you want. Relieve me of self, what I just read on the other page, my fear, my insecurity, my I don't want to. What if I can't? I think I can get away with it. What if I get those other people to do, right? Let me get out of the way so I can walk through whatever you put in front of me today and maybe put my hand out to somebody else tomorrow. Victory over that may bear witness to somebody else. So really the third step's got nothing to do with giving it to God. It's got a lot to do with what's given to me today and how I walk through it. Relieve me of the self so that I can walk through this and help another. And as soon as I got there, she goes, nope, now you got to do a four step. I'm like, ah. well, no, really, I was kind of like, oh, she's going to love this. You know, there's a girl that wouldn't wash the spoon at the sobriety house. And I'm like, I don't like her. And as far as we ever got, that's the one. I could not stand her. Blocked from the sunlight of spirit, but you don't understand. She won't wash the spoon. This isn't right. Nobody gets in. She never gets in trouble. I just don't like that, Susie. Well, she could cause you to go drink because now that's a resentment and I'm blocked from the sunlight of spirit. The insanity of my thinking returns and I'm all of a sudden going to go, screw this. I'm out of here. Just because Susie wouldn't wash the spoon. Another thing is, do you ever hear in the meeting where they go, Pray for somebody for two weeks for them to get everything that you want. I'm not going to pray for Susie. She was hitting on my boyfriend. She tried, you know, uh-uh. Why would I pray for her to get everything she wants? She wants my shit. <laughs> I don't like her. So when they go, I love that I learned that the third, the four step prayer and resentment has got nothing to do with me praying for the other person. It's the only prayer in the book that's for me. And if I got the flu and you got the flu and I got a runny nose, I lost my voice, my nose, all chapped up here. You look like you got, the, you've had like diarrhea and upset stomach all week. Does it mean one of us has the flu and the other one doesn't? No. It means our symptoms are different, but we're both sick. So when I look at another person, 
that four step prayer isn't me pray for them to get whatever they want. Cause I can still be pissed off and they could still be a jerk after I'm done praying for them. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but there's a difference in the big book between clear cut directions put in there for a certain reason and the suggestions that are in the book. Right? So that four step prayer is God save me from being angry. Help me just accept them and allow them to be. Then I'm not caught up in that resentment that Susie wouldn't wash the spoon. Right? And if anybody ever sets you off on a four-step, I don't know, it, listen to your sponsor. Your sponsor always knows, listen what's in the book. But the fact of the matter is sometimes there's a lot of people out there that I see that relapse on their four-step. And why? I've learned or I've seen a lot of people that are set on a course to go, okay, we're going to say a prayer, whether you understand it or not, the third step. And then you're going to start out by writing down everything. First three columns only. Write down everything that's ever made you feel pissed off, burned up, sore. Everything that's made you feel like throwing in the towel. Really feeling like you're just a piece of shit. Anything that's really got you into that resentment. And then call me next week. We'll do the other columns. Right? What happens? The newcomer's going to obviously be like, I feel like drinking. You have to be able to do that resentment, those columns and go all the way through to that prayer. Because it's really, if you don't remember anything else, it's really just help me not be upset by this. Help me just accept them as they are. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. It just means we allow them to be, you know? I started doing this four step and I remembered, I told I'm thinking that my sponsor's gonna love this. I can't wait to get to my sex inventory. This is gonna be good. <laughs> Man on pool table, you know, that's right, you know. <laughs> Why is that on there? It's a good story. No, I don't want to hear all your escapades. I'm like, okay. It says we just review our conduct. Oh. You know, my sponsor was on my, for, on my sexual inventory list. No, I did not have sex with my sponsor. Although she loves it when I share that in a meeting. It's the first place jealousy was written. The word jealousy comes up there. We subjected each, each, each relationship to the test. Jealousy, suspicion, or rage, right? She had just said yes to a new girl and said that she was going to spot. I was her only one for so long. Who's this new girl? She's going to like her more than me. Oh, my God. Do I write it down? Does it go on the list? I think so. Where? Write it wherever you, it came up, man. Wherever the paper is in front of you. How free do you want to be, man? Just write it down. Wherever it comes up, write it down. Oh, Susie came up on my list. That same one that wouldn't wash the spoon. You know, my arch nemesis now in AA at three months over. All of a sudden she walks in with, um, I don't know, I forgot his name. But, you know, he wasn't very attractive to me until he walked in with her. So what do I, I run up to the front of the meeting and I give him a big hug and I kiss him on the cheek. Oh, hi, how are you? Oh, you two are together now? I didn't know. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Bye. Now, did I arouse jealousy, suspicion, or fear in Susie? I certainly hope so. I mean, that was my intention, right? I only came in with so many tools. Does it go on the list? <sighs> really? I just put her on my list too. <sighs> and the real thing is what I'm trying to do is find a few facts about myself so that I can learn how to make that ideal me. 
how that ideal me interacts with you. Am I terrified? Am I scared? You're not gonna, you're gonna throw me away. You're not gonna like me. What's gonna happen? Or am I just gonna be able to say, um, learn enough about me so that I can look at you and go, yeah, me too. I felt like that. I've been there. I did that and I don't do it now. You know, I made some amends. I made some, I learned some facts about myself. And I started out on this, this journey that has been more miraculous than I can ever imagine. Um, I sponsor some amazing women that are, I think, more amazing than me. And, um, and it's not because I sponsor it's because I opened that book and I said, no, somebody showed me how to do that. Let me show you. And I love my sponsor that she showed me to find those answers. But when I start acting like I know a little bit better, now, yeah, I've got some sober experience. The other thing it says in the book is it says, once that person comes up to you and goes, I'm really want to work the 12 steps of the program of recovery. I'm supposed to say, having had that experience myself, I can offer some practical advice, but that's my practical advice. And I'll just show you where the directions, the clear cut directions are in the book. 90 meetings, 90 days, great suggestion. Do you, must you do it? It's a good suggestion. It's not one of the clear cut directions in the book. I don't know if Amy's still on here. Amy's so funny. She had just a few months when she was like, I told her, if you don't come out and dance with your sponsor at whatever event it was, you're fired. And she yells right in front of me. <laughs> Is it in the big book? Well, then you can't tell me to do it, you know? What's that rule about whether or not we should sleep with somebody in the first year? Hmm. I say learn a few facts about yourself because I think there's people with like 10 years that really shouldn't be you know, involved in anything in there. Learn a few facts about yourself and do that inventory. And once you do that, you're going to find you're going to find your ideal. You're going to find how you can care about another. So just because you've done the steps and you've even done that inventory, maybe you'll find out that you're ready to like, you know, but does that mean that I start looking for that person in the rooms? I think the only time that my suggestion, I make it very strongly, is that once you've done your steps, just because you've done your, the work on yourself, make sure before you start looking for somebody in the rooms that they've done the work on themselves. And when you reach your hand out to another alcoholic, make sure you reach your hand out and say, hi, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic just like you, and care about the alcoholic before you care about, oh, thank God I got that steps done. Ah, I'm on a roll, right? Because if we've really done the work, then we care a little bit more about that alcoholic that's next to us not dying. And you can do that with one day. I love, love, love this. In, one of my other pet peeves is in the um, end of the second edition. It says, uh, it says it throughout in a lot of places, but it does say we are not a religious group. We're also not doctors. Some of us might be, but I know I'm not. I know how to work the 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And just because I have found a higher power, or that ice cube melted through me doing the steps, doesn't mean that my higher power is going to be yours. You go get your own, man. Even if it's just that the whole bunch of people managed to not die of this thing, right? But I was speaking somewhere in the valley once, and this girl had this timid little face, and she was kind of waiting to ask me a question, and I was like, what's going on? And she goes, um... Is there somewhere else that I was just want? I, you know, I got like two days and I really like this, but I was wondering, is there someplace else I should go? I'm like, why can't you come back here? 
She goes, well, um, the lady I was sitting next to said that if I keep coming here, that I'll find Jesus. And we're Jewish. So I just, <laughs> I quickly opened the book. I'm like, we are not a religious group. But when somebody starts very excited, sometimes we're real excited about something and we want that other person to get what we've got. When we start telling them that first, we jeopardize their chance of getting sober. And just because I know how to work the 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't put an MD at the end of my name. So just because I heard somebody say something like, we're not allowed to take anything that's going to affect us this way or that way or whatever. There's people in the rooms that are prescribed stuff from their doctors that's very important to them even making it back to the room. And when we say stuff like that to the newcomer that doesn't know anything and they go home and stop taking their anti-psych meds or their antidepressant meds, they may not make it back to the room. That's not my job as an alcoholic. My job as an alcoholic. An Alcoholics Anonymous is to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and maybe bring you a little bit of hope and say, I've walked where you've walked and I felt like you felt. And it's possible. It's possible after a relapse to get a few more days than two or three, to get a few more years under your belt. It's possible to reach your hand out to somebody else and go, yeah, I know. There was a story I heard where somebody came into a room with a newcomer and they sat down and they said, don't worry about it. Just sit down here. We'll get you some coffee afterwards. We'll talk about it. And the guy had just a couple of days and all of a sudden he was like, all right. And then somebody with two hours sober sits down next to him and he goes, what do we, is, am I in the right place? And he goes, yeah, um, do you want some, I, I think they're going to have a meeting and they're going to share a little. And then afterwards they'll tell us some more. Did you want me to get you a cup of coffee? I don't care whether you got two hours or two days, whether you got two weeks or two years, 20, I don't care. We always have a chance to reach our hand out and care about that other alcoholic. I'm going to end with this. Um, I mentioned singing Sam who brought me into the rooms. One of the other things he used to say was a bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. And love wasn't meant in the heart to stay because love isn't love until you give it away. And I want to thank you for letting me come and give a little bit of my love to you. My name is Kelly, and thank you for letting me share.